Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. It was 30 years ago this month, journalist Linda Godfrey broke the story of the Bray Road Beast, the Wisconsin werewolf. Now, 30 years on, we're just wondering how things have changed. So we're talking with Linda Godfrey today to get her perspective on the phenomena. Happy December, Linda. Happy December, Mike. So glad to hear from you. Yes. And also to my good listen. Yeah, so, welcome, Linda. Without... You, Linda, we would not have this wonderful story of the Wisconsin werewolf, the um, the person who was brave enough to bring us the Bray Road Beast in the first place. Well, thank you. Um, you know, and I do think because it took at least 10 years before people really started looking at it en masse, you know, it was just sort of an oddball thing that most people, even cryptozoology fans, would just sort of laugh it under the, the sofa or, or wherever. And I really wasn't doing that much in terms of writing. I was investigating, but I just had I had a few places where I felt it was appropriate to do a column for the newspaper on it, and between now and then. But it really didn't take off for about ten years. So you were working on comic strips. You were working for a local paper, and uh, like how did how did you first find out about the Bray Road Beast? Well, it was just that there had, were several people who uh, rode or drove the same school bus. And they were chatting about something. And one mentioned she saw this this thing and told the other ones. And uh, one of them had some acquaintance with me. And she, she said, you have to check into this more. Um, because she, she knew Doris Gibson was the woman who had seen it that first spoke the words, you know, and let the, the story come through. And she's the one that on a Halloween night, what we have documented is when she's driving along a very late night uh, pickup for her relative who had been at a party and she was going to pick her up and saw this thing come running out of the corn and jumped in front of her car. She took off. She'd even gotten out, kind of cracked the door open and started to get out. And then she, when she saw it and became so frightened, that she just hopped back in and, and took off again. And she hadn't really told anybody. It had been, you know, a while since that happened. So the the woman who knew her got to me. It was kind of a chain, chain reaction sort of thing. And I happened to be going to talk to the, the uh, county um, animal shelter for a different thing. And just, I was sort of, coming and hawing within my mind whether I should mention it to him or not. And I finally did. I said, hey, have you heard anything about this strange phenomenon in the country on Bray Road? And he said, oh, you mean this? And he pulled out a file folder, and it was labeled werewolf. Now, Walworth County is a pretty straight-laced little town. You don't usually see really unusual things. but um, So that kind of caught my attention. And also, when you've got an official, to me, if, you're, if you've got a file folder and a label on it and verifying others who are telling their story, that's a story. The newspaper was very reluctant 
at first because they said, oh, people are going to laugh, you know. And I said, well, that can be good. And, and so we finally decided to do it. And when, after it ran, it was, the only, it was the only one of two papers that ever sold out overnight. It had a dramatic effect on the, the sales of the newspaper. It did, and they did not expect that at all. And they ended up uh, kind of doing some fun things with it. I dubbed it the Beast of Bray Road, partly because of the alliteration, you know, Beast of Bray. It just kind of went. <laughs> right, it rolls off the tongue well. So you're telling me that uh, the animal control officer, was it, in, in Elkhorn, had a file folder? Right, right. His office was in Elkhorn, but he covered the whole county. And he had this file folder. I believe he actually showed it to me. It was purportedly used by the Elkhorn Police Department for a photo shoot, and nobody saw it after that. So that's another mystery. It was a, a wide territory. And then I found out there, there were other weird things that were happening at the same time. There were several do- dogs that seemed mutilated were found buried in different spots around the county, which is pretty creepy. Um, there were people who were seeing a white horse, a white stallion, being ridden around at night by um, a man in some kind of costume. I don't know if it was described too much, but that was something that a couple of people had seen. And there were things like that that seemed to be happening in conjunction with the creature sightings that people started calling a werewolf because they would see in their descriptions they didn't think that it looked very natural running and walking on its hind legs. That, to them, the only thing that would fill that bill would be the werewolf. Well, and you and you go into that really well in, in your book, The 2003 Beast of Bray Road, when you mentioned that it took about 10 years for the, the rest of the world, to, you know, to catch on, or at least, the, you know, the cryptozoology world. But, I mean, there's a couple of things that strike me from that, that beginning 30 years ago, is that, is that, number one, you had the guts to say, let's do a story about this werewolf thing that these kids are seeing, and now adults, you know, are have been seeing it too. And, and then number two... Yeah. Who, the the people that I mean besides I mean I remember seeing it on the local news like when when it first came out so mm-hmm. this is very this is this was very exciting to me because I was just getting into freshman year of high school and when the whole world is opening up you're like uh oh like werewolves are real man um, like so that <laughs> that was a shocker to me it's like oh, as I'm having like the awakening into adulthood you realize uh oh monsters I always thought that they you know dad always told me they were fake Allison um, they lied um, <laughs> yeah. You're you're grown up enough to know, Mike. <laughs> right, monsters are real. It's werewolves all real, are Mike. real, and and they're ten <laughs> miles away. Now you weren't a person who was particularly looking for cryptids or anything, right? No, not at all. I mean, I had interest in the the topic, and I actually after this happened, I I started going out somewhat. You'll see some some of the things that have been published have um, my first trial baiting where I had a, a raw chicken and put that in the ditch. I had permission to do this. It's not really good to park alongside the road in the dark at night out there. But, um, you know, I had notified everybody. And the, the newspaper photographer and I kind of sat out as, as long as we could stand. It was a pretty cold night, as I remember. I think this was the Sun, you know, one of the, the newspapers that are for sale internationally with Strange topic. Yeah, the UK. And uh, they they published a kind of a not a real long but 
very photo rich article on it. And that I think really helped at that, at that point because the, the sightings didn't just start then either. The sightings went back to at least um, 10, 12 years or more, depending on which, which story. So um, there really was a lot more, there were more legs to the story than one would think, really. You started looking into it, didn't it go, go back to 89? And then the 1936 sighting, and you go through all those in the book, and and they've explored them in different TV shows and stuff like that, but how does your life change as somebody who's, and, and this is, and we're talking about the Elkhorn newspaper, like it's not the New York Times or the Washington Post, it's not Woodward and Bernstein out there looking for the Beast of Bray Road. <laughs> How does your life change from somebody who's like, okay, I like doing cartoons, and then they make me write stories every once in a while, and now I am thrust into this world um, that I, you know, were you ready for it? How did it, how did it go? Oh, I had no idea. I remember the editor of the week, which was the title of the, of the newspaper, and I were kind of, you know, bantering about it back and forth, and uh, we concluded that it would probably be something that local people would have some fun with and there'd be, you know, jokes and things for uh, a couple of weeks and then it would die down and go into a cheaper folio at the library or something like that. But little did I know that as soon as it was published, there were, first I had radio calls from all over the country and then every nearly or local or nearly local newspaper, there's the Milwaukee Journal and Madison newspapers, all of them just made it go on AP coast to coast. So it, it literally was shown coast to coast and was terribly time consuming, which I hadn't thought would happen. It just kept going. <laughs> I think if it had been the internet type of, of reception that we can have now, it might have gone a lot faster. But people then were barely, you know, the, the internet was just sort of being born to the main culture. And so things like that could hide in the files for a long time before somebody would dig them up or there would be a public anniversary to remember them by, such as we had. Right. And, and so I, I think if the internet had been around, you might have been inundated even with, you know, many more sightings and, and stuff like that. And all the people coming and, you know, it had been clickbait central. Um, right. So, Linda, how did this change you personally? Like, did, did it, do you feel it changed your worldview in any way? Well, it's something that people ask me, and I'm sort of pulled in different directions. There, are, but what I mainly usually come up with is that what I can say for sure: I don't claim to believe in werewolves, but I don't know what they are, what these people are seeing. But I believe they're seeing something. There are enough. Uh, relating factors that it seems like it's often the same thing that people are seeing. And the biggest thing, and something that's really just starting to cap it off, was that it went public in Europe and in all over the country. And um, I've just started talking with people. They're getting more and more interest from Europe and different other parts of the globe. And so that's exciting because then, it's really weird, but almost every country has some form of acknowledgement or fear of or legend about large predators that are in certain countries seem very much alike. You know, and you talk about this in your book because you're talking about werewolf legends uh, that happened. You go into, um, you know, different things around the world where people have had these stories of, of seeing, you know, you talk about the Michigan Dogman 
and things. And mm -hmm. in your further books, too, you go into the different monsters, uh, you know, that people have seen around the country. And then, you know, you bring them all together. And they have those ideas that, that this cross, crosses cultures uh, that people have seen this. But, Great way to put it. And you describe that well um, in the Beast of Bray Road book. And since that has come out, and so that that's kind of, um, you know, where you, you now, I mean, when people think of you, um, they think of you as someone who is a often a, a cryptozoological author. You know, I think if somebody said, well, what does Linda do? Probably before I met you and stuff like that, I'd be like, well, I, you know, I wouldn't have said cartoonist or anything like that. I'd be like, well, I read her books and, I, you know, I think she's a cryptozoological author like Lauren Coleman or uh, Dan Cohen or, all. you know, since that has come out and you've had a chance now to talk with people all over the world and have been on a million TV shows, um, what, as you're going into it and, and as you're still getting people's stories and releasing these books. And the last book you had was I Know What I Saw that came out in 2018, right? Right, exactly. It goes from the idea that these are just things out of horror movies to these are just right. things that are way out of the ordinary that we don't understand. And we tend to fear what we don't understand. And that's, that's a big one. So all of a sudden you think it's the thrill of the horror movie when maybe you're seeing something supernatural that doesn't mean us anything harmful whatsoever. Yeah, that's really true. It's a different sort of thing than people will be, sometimes somebody, I'll hear from the audience coming, you know, was he drunk or something like that. And alcohol gets blamed a lot, but things that I've checked with show that the, the people who are seeing this thing are generally young kids who are outside, um, people working, good hardworking people working, driving home on late shift, farmers, just people of, of all sorts. That was another thing that really got me interested because it wasn't like there was one type of person, you know, doing um, bear, bear wolf, banana bear suit or something like that. Right. They are completely unique to as as much as they did share certain characteristics. That really impressed me that there were all these people of different lifestyles, ages, interests that still saw the same same thing, which they almost all described as a large wolf like creature that could walk and stand and run and jump and leap on its hind legs like nothing they'd ever seen before. The other eerie thing that I still hear too is that People will tell me, you know, I felt that there was more to this than just some sort of animal or even some sort of spirit thing. It's something we haven't yet figured out. And and I, I think that that's a definition that a lot of people could go with. I just say I, I don't know what it is, but I know something's there and people are all seeing it the same way. You know, one thing that you, you talk about when it comes to these kind of phenomena and people report sightings is that now there is a... There's a narrative around the Beast of Bray Road, right? People like people have seen the original sightings. They have a story. Um, you know, we see fake pictures coming through yeah. every once in a while. The people say, "Oh, this is I was driving down Bray Road, Wisconsin," and then you you know, and it shows up. You know, there's a great picture a couple of years ago. Somebody said they were driving down Bray Road, and there's a there's a there's the dog man right there, and it's next to a it's next to a um, a sign that says 40 miles per hour. And yet there, oh. are, there are no 40 mile per hour signs down Bray Road. There aren't. There are. I know exactly the one you mean. I, I, I don't think that it, people were at all bothered by someone else kind of deriding this particular one because you could also see 
um, you know, parts of what it was made of and several different colors of fur and kinds of fur. And there's another one that's been going around for years, and that is where it's nighttime. It's a farm that's supposed to be in Kentucky, and there is a path lighted by something or other, and then you see the side of this creature that looks like uh, a wolfish thing kind of peering at you around the corner. And that one has been seen by, I, I have more people come up and ask me about that one at conferences. Again, you could kind of poke a lot of holes in it. And I think that it's good to be careful about what you're saying is real, this is real, and this isn't. Right, you know, and that's what I was wondering. So I, as you have gone on, and, and the difference in between 1991 and 2021, and I'm sure people still send you things all the time, and that's where I know what I saw came from were those reports to you, do you have to put on your bullshit detector or something like that, you know, in, in a special way? And do you see, you know, because also the internet too, people can send things in anonymously and it's just emails and they can write it out. You never see them in person. You can't like size them up or anything like that. Do you see like common traits, you know, do people just copy other sightings they've seen and send them in? Do you think that a majority of the things that you get are people who actually have something that they would just love to get explained? Yeah, I think the latter one is, is most true. I've been criticized for not believing, you know, and, and I don't believe that you something that you need to really declare that way. You know, it's not the same as a religious belief, but some people, some people think that that's going on and they object to that, and that's, that's fine. There are others who really claim that it's just nothing to it, too, and they'll kind of go off on picking the, the low-hanging fruit when they're looking for things to describe this creature, you know, because obviously it's really easy to take umbrage with such a thing and, and laugh about it. and it, That does happen, and I, I'm, re- I'm ready for that, really. Well, it's, it's funny because I was, I was ta- one of my uh, friends, um, his... Uh, dad had worked on the, he was uh, in the Elkhorn Police Department for decades. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they, I was talking to uh, the mother of my friend who, who, you know, after after this guy died, and I'm like, hey, you know, Elkhorn Police Department, you know, did he get any particular, did he ever see the beast or hear a story or anything like that? And she's like, well, he heard stories and stuff, but he never put any credence to it or anything like that. So he just, he had dismissed those things out of hand because he had, because nobody was actually assaulted or anything. Um, and, you know, so you're going to have people who are open-minded be like, okay, tell me about it. And you're going to have people also in authority and stuff who are going to be like, don't waste my time. And, right, exactly. And so it's finding that middle area where you're not entertaining the crazies, for lack of a better term, and <laughs> saying like, oh, no, it's, you know, all of, I saw all the fairies fly over Bray Road. I'm not even saying the fairies aren't out there, but it's just, you know, it's it's the people that everything happens to at once versus just saying, you know, to somebody who you had mentioned this before, and I think this was a, this is a great point, it was all kinds of unique people who had had this experience. I mean, I'm the kind of person that goes to a paranormal conference, but I'm also the kind of person out looking for it. Joe Schmo sees something who is not looking for it that gives us a different sense of, okay, well, if this guy saw something and he just saw it out of nowhere or whatever. Right. Most people who that happens to will say right off, hey, I didn't think there was any such possible thing. I thought it was, was crazy, but now I know what I saw. You know, but at the time, and then one of our witnesses, he was an airline official um, in 
this general area of the Midwest, and he happened to see one at his vacation home right near Burlington, maybe 10 miles away, something like that. And he saw it not just, and this is a man who has all kinds of tests given to him all all the time. And he saw it once, not once, but four times. He had to drive at a very early hour to to work every every day. Sure, that is something that when when you have a person who's seeing the same thing repeatedly, it then you know well it couldn't have been just a flash in the pan, you know it couldn't have been a stroke of moonlight or somebody's headlight, or that it gives it a lot more credibility when somebody with high credit accreditations already is able to add more meat to his story. Right. No, we always we no. hope that an airline guy. Uh, has his stuff together <laughs> because that's exactly. the kind of right we want to make sure we get on that plane that we're getting off right right you don't want him getting on with showing that he has a, a bottle in his in his back britches or something you know <laughs> right this guy was very straight and in fact he wouldn't come to me straight off he sent a relative who also was was a, a very good person to talk to about it but those kinds of things tend to really um, make me take notice um, you know, I, I still try to keep digging on the history and, and always finding one thing or another. And often some of the new, the newer things that I find are, are rejected in the same way for the first several years at least as the Beast of Bray Road was. For instance, there's another creature, um, if you don't mind if I mention the, the uh, black cats that are more than just plain old kitty cats. Right. There's it's talked about in that latest book, I Know What I Saw. There's a whole chapter on it um, that from a journalist in small town Wisconsin. In this case, it's Hillsborough, kind of in the middle of the state, who has collected well over 150, and he intimates that it's a lot more than that, very solid sightings from very solid people about what appears to be a black cougar. And Cougars are not supposed to be black. And this many cougars were certainly not admitted to be in this one circled area of Wisconsin, but they are. One thing I want to mention about your, that idea about that, the black cat and the cougar people saw, obviously, you know, you've put that together. You made that movie with your son, uh, Return to Wildcat Mountain. Right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And that goes into it. And I think, now this is one fascinating connection. We talk about how things have changed, how cryptozoology and stuff like that can actually have, you know, real, beyond the fun of folklore and entertainment and looking into legends and sightings and stuff. You know, Return to Wildcat Mountain actually has a political angle because there's a reason that the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources would deny the existence of any of these kind of cougars in that area of the state. And so I think that's that's an amazing connection there that if, you know, we take these sightings and reports and stuff like that that might get dismissed out of hand, now we can connect them into something where it's like, hey, this is an actual thing and this might actually affect how we look at the land. Right, right, exactly. I, I made repeated requests to our Department of Natural Resources about the black cat, and I couldn't get anybody to even give me one comment to put in the book. So you can you can just tell there's still a lot of opposition at admitting this. And also, what's interesting to me is there are two kinds or two colors. One is the, the black, very dark, and then the other is the light buff color that you think of when you think of cougars. And I actually have seen one of those um, eating a house cat. I live off of a green belt right now where there's a lot of wildlife. And I actually saw a buff-colored cougar 
full, almost full grown, I think it was, eating this house cat. And the cat was screaming. And it was, there was nobody around very close, but there were people that I could see in various, from my, from my vantage point. And um, I couldn't go any closer to it, or I was afraid it would get me because it noticed, it noticed me there. It immediately picked up his prey and gave him sort of a death snarl and then went and hid under the bridge at a certain point. I didn't get to take pictures of it, but the next day I got up the nerve to go back with my husband and it had left classic cougar sport right where it should should be and it's the exact practices of a, a hunting cougar. So I, I, I've come back close to it. So you I know feel, what you saw um, yourself. I, so I know what I saw myself. <laughs> well, and, yeah, and you saw a cannibal cougar, even worse, killing a poor house cat. Like that is an yeah. act of intraspecies savagery. That's what it felt like. It really, really did. I can tell I can tell you another quick story. I have a physician that tends to some of my problems that I have and he lives kind of near the the other one I mentioned in that whole Burlington area. And he drove up to his house one night, and he saw some kind of light flashing from next to his barn. And he went over to it, and it was something that was standing growling waist-high to him. It's like mouth level was waist-high to his, a little bigger probably. And it had glowing red eyes. Oh. And, And he immediately had a bad suspicion about what it was. He, and this is a man who dresses very nicely. He was wearing these nice Italian shoes, and he took off his shoe and hit it on the head. Just <laughs> kind of threw it at him. And he just kept backing up and, and got into his car. That same sort of thing happened to my husband seven or eight years ago when we had lived at another place. He encountered one of the buff ones at the edge of the yard, and had to, and it was night. He had no flashlights with him, and he had to walk backwards all the way up to our deck. And then luckily it ran off. And symbolically interesting, I have, I never would have known because I was on the phone with headphones going on doing a podcast for somebody. I don't remember exactly what show, but I never would have found them because what they do is they take the prey and roll them around and make, you know, make sure that they're right. going to be around for breakfast the next morning. <laughs> so he would have, you know, just, just gone. This is something that uh, I was wondering if your perspective had changed since the initial story came out in 1991 is, um, you know, there are people who are very materialist about it and that mm-hmm. like the Lauren Coleman, like, okay, this is going to be, obviously it's just a, it's a, it's a bipedal canine kind of thing. This is just an animal that we haven't discovered yet, or it's a, it's an extra large wolf or something like that, like the beast of Gavaudan or something, you know, and talking about the wildcats that you saw and that are, Mm -hmm. that people have seen in Hillsborough and are being denied by the DNR for reasons of probably not having, you know, land protection and stuff like that um, and corporate interest versus... And it cost them them money too, you know, to take personnel, increase their personnel to go and study these things. And this is what we're talking about. That's a very material thing where a cryptid then becomes, you know, a real thing like the coelacanth or something under, you know, that's discovered and you're like, oh, it's alive. And it's the thing that we can study versus something like the Beast of Bray Road, which is almost a, you know, it's a phantom. 
it just it shows up and it shows up to people who aren't looking for it you know like like you sitting out there you talk about this in the book you sitting out there with the chicken and hanging out all night and you even say it seems like the people who are looking for it are the people least likely to see it and so has your perspective kind of altered at all between the materialist and the non-materialist perspective at least uh, since you first looked at it 30 years ago well that's a hard one to answer i kind of go back and forth and think there are again there are so many things in the universe we don't even know if it's called the universe we just right and and so, so many things in it that um there's there's room for the unexpected you know there, there sort of has to be the unexpected if everything we thought of was expected I think the world would be a lot different. Um, we wouldn't have the sense of curiosity is not only what killed that little kitty cat, in, in my view. Right. Well, actually, actually, the cougar the, killed the cat, but that's okay. That's right. You're exactly right. Thank <laughs> you. I, I just tend to uh, think there's probably plenty of room for speculation on, on either side of the fence. Just so many things that correlate. And if they were seeing these creatures... And there were even there was even a small group of people who all saw black cougars either standing or sitting, one or the other. They're probably thinking more positively about it than they want to admit to themselves or those that they've talked to. You know, it just kind of goes all over the map. And there there is a whole chapter on that in the I Know What I Saw book. If people are even more are more interested, it's also available on Amazon Prime under that title. Now you have seen changes in media obviously from the consolidation of the newspaper industry, locals getting bought up by conglomerates and that, that kind of thing, the introduction of, of the internet, smartphones, yes. so where everybody has a camera on them all the time. You know, the uh, the story of the Beast of Bray Road and how it was brought and the beginning of it as it's on sightings and a current affair and it's on the local news and, and you're doing follow-up stories. You know, you're in there you know, at the beginning, and you're the one talking to people. You're the you're the one that people are sharing their stories with, and who are is going out looking for stories in that first, while it, it was just being established and, and becoming to what now is like a legend that about Wisconsin that you know anybody in the paranormal field or even even the normies know about now. Your work is indistinguishable, I think, from the legend of the beast itself. And so 30 years from when you first, you know, three decades on from when you first shared that story with everybody and came out and said like, oh, no, 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 we can do this and it's going to be fun. How has the Beast of Bray Road changed you? I think it's made me just more, more able to connect with people in general and to look at things from a variety of perspectives. What's an example of that? I was with um, a group of, well, I hate to say werewolf hunters, but it, that term kind of comes up. That's the coolest group ever. <laughs> it is. And, it, yeah, just some, some gals that one of them, who had been along several times, had a bag with a few apples in it and a, a sandwich and that kind of thing. And you're not supposed to throw any paper things down in the park, but I think maybe the occasional donut half or, you know, plum or something like that that could be edible. Anyway, she threw, the, threw it down in this gully in the Kettle Moraine State Park. Mm-hmm. And we were on a trail with them before. She decided to throw one of those pieces of that she'd bought down into the gully just as a thank you for letting us be here. 
And within less than a minute, just a couple of seconds, I think, a shriveled up, dried wild apple came swinging right up alongside the, the gully, moving not according to gravity, but according to some other force. We could see where it would have had to come from, and there was nobody down there. Right. And uh, it landed right at our feet and rolled in a little as if to make sure it got far enough. So it was the, the perfect aim, and whoever was throwing it couldn't have seen what, he, what they were aiming at. So you have something like that, and there's so many levels to investigate in it. It becomes everything right away from the shrunken apple to this object that can tell us all kinds of stories so, and make us think of things. I've had that happen before in that park when the, the walker I was with, we stopped and we were shaking a little tree branch just a little bit to make a slight ruffle and something came firing out of the brush nearby and the guy, the guy that it hit was over six feet tall and very usually uh, occupied in that place in all his spare time and that had never happened before. But again, something hide, hidden and then it just sits in Linda Godfrey's freezer for, <laughs> for however long <laughs> right. to figure out you know, what to do with it. A lot of times people might have something like that happen and wouldn't even realize it, that it was anything out of the usual until they started talking with people and finding out, hey, I had a crab apple you know, fly at me and hit my head too. And it'll kind of percolate in people's minds. And um, like all the great things that you've mentioned, there's so many tales of thought. That's a perfect kind of answer because it, it shows how in, in your own perspective, as, as time has gone on, you've now had the chance, even through the, you know, the differing technologies and, and now you've been on podcasts and TV shows and specials mm -hmm. and, you know, all the way from like being interviewed by Inside Edition coming in and, and those kind of things from when they had tabloid news programs on at 630 mm -hmm. on Channel 18 every day or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, as that time, you know, goes on and stuff like that, the original thing doesn't change. It's it's still right. it's still you threw down an apple and a uh, and, and a desiccated crab apple comes flying back at you with no possible way, and that can be that can be seeing a cryptid or that can be the the little experiences, but it's finding the stories inside that experience. And it doesn't matter if you're using a computer or a camera or creating a cartoon that, you know, can gets you inside that experience and, and gives people a different perspective on it. It all goes back to that same thing and that sense of wonder that you were talking about. I hope so. You know, I hope people can feel it that way. Not that I'm saying, oh, everybody must believe this, but it's kind of nice if you just ponder it for a few, a minute or two minutes or forever. It's nice to have something to think about that way, even if you don't find what people might construe as, as evidence. So, and, and that's another good word to chew on, evidence. What is evidence? What isn't evidence? And it, it sounds like it can be simple, but it isn't. There's a lot. You can have a lot of good uh, campfire experiences can, you know, ponder right. about these things. Well, uh, Linda, I, I want to thank you. Um, I mean, of course, Allison, thanks you for the time. Her power oh, went out mysteriously uh, in the middle of the interview, so I blame that one. Uh, on the satanic forces behind the Beast of Bray Road trying to stop us from getting the truth out to the people. But really, I'm gonna, you might not have you know, been the, uh, the syndicated cartoonist you always dreamed of, but what you did give us in the Beast of Bray Road uh, and the books and the research, like I you know what I saw and American Monsters and, and all of that over the years is that it, it, I think it gave us as definitely as growing up in Wisconsin or, you know, the people from Northern Illinois and, and everything like that, um, it really did give us growing up a sense of wonder that 
Um, these amazing things aren't limited to the movie screen or the places right. where people print things and produce movies and stuff like that, um, that it can happen in our own backyard. And, and I think that's something exceptional in its own right. I do too. And, and I'm actually hoping that the Black Cougar discoveries will sort of be the same thing once people start catching on. Interestingly enough, it also checks out the mystic aspect. Of these, and, and I found there's a very rich one. So just have to throw that in because to me, I, I feel like it's another thing that's come into my life that I'm supposed to be letting people know about it and that there's a reason, again, it might give people another whole perspective that the Native Americans had quite a bit to share. And that's important too. And we're definitely, we'll include all the links to that stuff uh, in the show notes of this episode for our 30th anniversary of uh, The Beast of Bray Road being unveiled or maybe say unleashed upon the world. We wanted to bring you a never before heard sighting of the creature itself. I'm here uh, with one of my friends and somebody who's worked on some Sunspot albums and made some great music, a, a, a really good recording engineer, my friend Eric Cotty. And he's here to share his own experience um, and what he saw. So uh, it was a fall afternoon. 2012 was the year. Late September, I think it was the last weekend in September. My wife Becky and I had been married September 29th, 12 years prior. So we were just kind of on a wedding anniversary weekend trip to Lake Geneva. And we spent, you know, Friday and Saturday in Lake Geneva, just doing what you do in Lake Geneva. And on Sunday, uh, I think they have it every year. I forget the name of the resort, maybe the Abbey on sort of the west or south end of the lake has a marina and uh, they had an old wooden boat show. So we thought, yeah, we'll go down there. The, the weather was nice. It was like your perfect fall afternoon, 70, sunny so we go down there, we look at a bunch of boats for a couple of hours, and then we're going to head back to uh, the Madison area where we were living at the time. And we didn't know that area of Wisconsin very well. And I don't know that I even had GPS at that point. So we were kind of just relying on what we thought we remembered the last time we looked at a map. And we kind of got lost a little. So I couldn't even say for sure, you know, exactly where we were other than somewhere kind of northwest of Lake, the lake, Lake Geneva. Sure. On just, you know, your typical Wisconsin county trunk road driving through farms and farm fields and trees that are losing their leaves. And, you know, At we've been in At this point, it's sun. still a daytime, right? Oh, yeah. It's pure daylight. I don't recall what time it was, but I would say maybe... 3.30, 4.30 in the afternoon. And uh, we're both kind of wiped out from the weekend and, you know, spending the last few hours in the sun walking around and kind of anxious to get back home, just kind of zoning out, listening to the radio in the car as I'm driving us back to uh, Madison. And uh, Becky's doing the same thing right beside me in the car. And you know, I'm looking back and forth, left to right, as we're driving, kind of checking out the scenery, but trying to keep my eyes on the road. And all of a sudden, I look uh, to the right, so across Becky, where she's sitting, and uh, I see something. It kind of maybe looked like a deer, but not really. And then I looked back, and Becky saw me do like a double take, and she's like, did you see that too? 
And I'm like, well, yeah, what the heck was that? She's like, I don't know. I'm like, uh, was it a deer? She's like, no, not, I don't think so. I mean, both having grown up in Wisconsin, we've seen deer on the roadside and, uh, or out in the fields and we're pretty confident. We know what a deer light looks like versus something else, but it was across a farm field that had been cut, you know, or harvested already a cornfield right at the tree line, probably, I don't know, 400, 300 yards away or something like that. So we turned on the radio and we talk about it for a little while and she's like, it looked like a kangaroo. And yeah, maybe a little, but that doesn't seem right. It kind of had almost deer ears or maybe kangaroo ears. And it was definitely like on its rear haunches or something like that. Like it was mostly upright. And uh, we're like, well, that whatever, you know, we'll never know exactly what it is. We're not going back and let's right. keep going home. <laughs> a lot of, you know, okay. So a lot of people say that it's, you know, it might be like a dog and hind legs or something like that. Sure. Yeah. There's no way in my mind it was a dog that just doesn't add up because normally when you see a dog stand on his hind legs, he'll be standing pretty straight up. They don't lean forward really. They're, you know, straight up or they're back down on all fours. This thing was not straight up. It was kind of hunched over, um, not in any sort of like dog or definitely not a domestic dog or canine that I've ever seen. So we never really spoke of it ever again for at least a year, if not longer. And all of a sudden one night we're watching some show. Becky's always into watching, you know, like ghost shows or supernatural, that kind of stuff on cable. We're sitting there and all of a sudden they're talking about the beast of Bray road. And we're like, oh, wow, that's in Wisconsin. And, oh, it's down by Lake Geneva. And all of a sudden they show a picture of, like, they were showing, like, artist renditions of what they had seen and some illustrations. And I turned to Becky and we both kind of had, like, this Scooby-Doo zoinks moment where we grabbed each other on the couch and jumped straight up. We're like, that's what we saw. I'm like, are you sure? She's like, yeah, I am sure. <laughs> I'm like... I'm sure too. I mean, without a doubt, that is what we saw, what these people are claiming to have seen. Well, real quick. So just, so it's up on its haunches. So it, it looks, it's not like on all fours. Definitely not. So, so it looks like it's up. That's why you, I think that the kangaroo is an interesting description that I haven't heard yeah. before. That that yeah. idea of like up, sure, it's, it's an animal, it's up. Um, was that the color then? Uh, as far as like a kangaroo color yeah so you think i think of no. the color as a, a kangaroo is tan or something like that yeah right no so that's why we definitely knew it wasn't a kangaroo it was more and you know not like deer color either because that would be a darker tan it was more like blackish silver and gray or something you know more wolf like as far as you know coloring goes yeah, so when we, we saw the images on TV, that was pretty much confirmation of what we had seen. And a little background on myself, I'm like as skeptical as they come. I never believe in any of this. Right. I don't believe, you know, in most ghost stories. I don't believe in most supernatural stuff. Although there's been a few things in my 48 years now that have led me to reconsider that, this being one of them. But, I mean, I'm very skeptical, analytical if somebody presents me with something like that, the first thing I try to do is explain it away, you know, in, you know, a much more logical explanation. And I, I honestly, I have nothing. Um, 
well, the you, fact that it really like you saw you saw a dark creature up mm-hmm. on its hind legs. Um, yep. Now, some people report the eyes, but this is during the daytime. So yeah, there was no glowing. So, eye, were there any glowing eyes or anything? No, really wouldn't be able to tell that. I don't sure. recall any sort of eye features or anything like that. Other than I think a kangaroo kind of has a, you know, like an elongated snout. Yeah, a deer kind of has an elongated snout, but so do wolves, you know, just that sort of facial feature. But with longer, flappier ears, you know, longer than what a wolf would have. Okay. And, you know. I guess maybe a little more like a deer would have, but they seem like they're bigger than that. Almost, you know, that's kind of what led us to believe it was a kangaroo too. Sure. You know, because it had longer kind of flappy ears. Now, if you were a couple hundred, you're a couple hundred yards away. And so this, is this in a, like a farm field? Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, I don't know acreage or anything, but it's pretty, we see a lot of the same thing all throughout Wisconsin. You yes, know, we there'll do. be a tree line here, there'll be a tree line there, and then it's, you know, cornfield. And this was actually probably a little smaller of a plot than you might imagine. So, but it had been cut, you know, all the corn was cut, you know, just had like the foot tall, what they leave behind. And then there was a bunch of brush on, you know, the far side where this creature was emerging from or just hanging out by or walking into. And uh, where would you say would be the nearest farmhouse or house to where you guys um, were? You know, this is going by memory. Um, not far, like right there across the street or maybe, you know, a couple hundred yards away. I mean, it definitely wasn't like this was far away from any farmhouse or anything. It was right there. You know, there's some areas, especially when you get that, and I know that road you're talking about because we have the Lake Geneva ghost walk, that's another thing mm-hmm. for people who looking to do Lake Geneva type things. Uh, there's ghost tours you can take on Fridays and Saturday nights. So I've driven back and forth there from Madison several times. I know exactly that kind of, some of the places are more remote and some of the places yeah. are more uh, next to the farm. So when we set the scene, uh, it's not like it's outside of civilization. No, it's definitely farm and rural, but you know, not 20 miles from anywhere. Looking at a map, if I had to guess like what road we were on, because again, we kind of got lost. We didn't really know where we were or how to get back. I think we were trying to get to Highway 14 maybe to take us back up into Madison. We had left, oh, it's the Fontana Resort. Oh no, it is the Abbey Resort down there. There's a Willow Bend Road. My guess is we went up 67 and got on what was called Willow Bend Road, and that took us over to 14. That would be the most logical way for us to get back home. Sure. So that's probably where it was. The next logical place, if we would have missed that turn, would have been North Walworth Road. I suppose that's a possibility too. Or maybe we were still on Highway 67. Those details, I don't know exactly, but it had to been in that area. Right. So either way, next time you're on North Walworth Road, Highway 67, or Willow Bend, keep your eyes peeled, especially for the uh, dark creature on its hind legs. Who's taking a look at you? 